2: Show. Welcome to Three Women Three Ways. We are the show that tackles some tough topics. And I think I say this so often, but it's really true. This this topic I think is one of the toughest that we ever have to cover. This topic happens way too often. And although we've had different experts in the field of what happens in family courts and the proceedings that go on there when women fight for custody. Um it, it's one thing to look at it from academic studies. It's another thing to look at it from real-life experience. And we have Natalia with us today. Natalia, welcome. Hi. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show, Natalia. And we have attorney John Mosley with us. They're both in Virginia. Welcome, John.
1: It's good to be here. I kind of we wish there were better have, circumstances. but
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's tough. These, You know, it's not just tough to experience. It's tough to hear. But we need to hear. We need to hear what's going on. Natalia, you've had a particularly egregious uh, custody battle and, uh, and divorce, I'm assuming. And, boy, is there a high cost to pay, everything from the money and the emotion to all the way up to going to jail uh, for that cost. Do you agree that there's a way too high cost to try to protect your children, Natalia?
0: Yeah, there's a that there's a high cost, that I had to spend a lot of money. Yes, um, well,
2: but there's I even like had social
0: costs. oh yes, my yeah. life, my financial life, and my way of living and everything has changed dramatically since I lost custody, and I've been um, fighting this battle for the last three or four years. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster. Um, As far as jobs and financial and my emotional well-being and trying to, you know, pay lawyers. And I even had to file bankruptcy because I got so bad.
2: Yeah. Well, and then once you don't have money, it's hard to get
0: representation.
2: John, uh, you're you're there. You're working with Natalia. What can you add to her comments about the financial burden of this?
1: Well, yeah, I mean it is a terrible thing, and most people I think don't imagine how how um far you know when they get started how what it what it's all going to take, and um things that shouldn't be so complicated and confusing and expensive end up um being a um endless drama that uh, that people don't really anticipate I have a lot of people you know i don't i don't charge very much around here i keep my uh, but by the time most people uh find me they've already been drained with so many other lawyers often i think bad lawyers and and bad experiences and um you say it, it's true it's it's um it's bad enough to um have all the bad experiences that that courts can give um but then trying to unravel it when you know they've already been depleted and and and, and financially and in every other way um it just adds to the to the loss of rights and, and the, and the box that people are in. Yeah. When,
2: um, yeah,
0: a, and so, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to tell you also, um, in, in my cases, I went through like about four or five lawyers because I couldn't keep up with just maintaining one lawyer. And I thought, because I was very good at, um, building a very strong case and bringing a lot of evidence into the court, and looking like the more reasonable parent, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to go to this court once or twice, and I was going to get my, you know, my son back. Because with my evidence, uh, I thought it was like, the judge was going to be like, oh, yeah, she's the more reasonable parent. She seems like the more parent who's more for the child. This other parent is more about alienation about getting back at the other parent and punishing her and, and taking away her time away from the child. And I thought, and when I was going to court, that the judge was going to look higher at me. Instead, she looked at the bad parent instead of looking at the good parent. And then I I went on many radio shows besides yours, and they've, I'm learning that a lot of these um, other parents are having the same problem where their children are being left with the abuser, and mothers are losing their rights, and their parents' rights, and a lot of it has to do with the, the judges feel, or they feel like, if we leave the child with the bad parent, then we get more revenue into the court, as where well, if we give it to the good parent, then we kind of lost the case, so... Well, you know,
2: know. uh, I want to address this because I spoke with a researcher, a a renowned researcher who has been looking into this. And I kind of got in trouble with him because during a radio show, I referred to the child court industry and indicated that there's a lot. It seems to me that. Poor people don't seem to go through these fights as much as people who have some means, and until it seems to be until those means are exploited and and gone. He got a little upset with me for saying that, but I mean, I've never heard of people who don't have the funds to pay the psychologists and the guardians ad litem and all of that going through such huge struggles. Over child custody, is that because they just kind of get screwed at the beginning and they're done with it, or uh, what, what? How do you see this, John? Straighten me out.
1: Well, I haven't, I haven't seen—I don't know about, the, about a study, but, it's, but it happens, of course, when one parent has the resources to hire all those consultants and things. I've definitely seen that, so I don't know that that it matters that both parents necessarily have money to spend. Um, but I would say that in this case, I mean, I definitely feel like money—money money bought justice that um, the father, you know, had the the fancy psychiatrist and all these other people to come in. And, and, um, and I, I believe the judge was, was very swayed by just who was the, who had the fancier consultants and not, not, not who had the better case, not who had the better thing, but, but it's almost like you can, if you can, hire all these experts, um, then you, um, <clears throat> you can buy any result you want. Um, and, um, and, you know, I understand the you know, the judge looks like, well, I have this expert here and he testified and he said all these things. And so, you know, he could somewhat, somewhat see that argument, but I think a, a judge could possibly see through all that as well.
2: Problems with hiring those experts is that a lot of times just because they have initials after their name doesn't mean that they understand a situation. I know. No, they I, I've, I've been kind of gobsmacked by psychologists, and my, I, I, my field is psychology, um, and I'm always just kind of, if you're doing one-on-one therapy, of course, you just take the, the client's word for what they're experiencing in their lives, but if you're filing a forensic report, if you're filing a report for the court how can you blithely say this is what this one person said and so therefore this is the gospel, this is what is happening, this is what the other party is doing, this is how it's impacting. You know, I, it seems so one-sided to me and I'm always well, just gobsmacked well, by they, that.
1: The son, um, Natalia's son, had both a psychiatrist and a therapist hired by um, by the father. The psychiatrist said that he was you know, he he gave this all this outrageous um, testimony about how N- um, Natalia was harmful to her son's <laughs> development. The son has behavioral problems, has um, ADHD, there, um, and and so he's and she, so he so their their whole theme was is that her involvement was interfering with this therapy. But then on cross examination, the psychiatrist who's prescribing the medication of so it, well I'm not. I'm not really listening. I'm not really trying to get the child to open up and tell me what's going on because he has a therapist. So so um, he's he says, I'm not trying to create a therapeutic relationship with the child. He just sees them for half an hour and just talks a little bit about things and, and intentionally says he doesn't get into getting the child to open up because that's what the therapist does. But that's not the impression he gave the court with all this outlandish things. And then when I asked him on cross-examination, like, well, how do you know that this is, you know, that, that, that Natalia is having any, Negative effect on the child. So it, she I admits, mean, just guessing. It's like, well, I mean, because the only people are there in that conversation are Natalia and the child. Nobody else is there. So how do you know what's happening? She says, well, I just, I just think that's probably what's happening. There's absolutely no basis for it whatsoever. And then the therapist, of course, doesn't have the qualifications of the, you know, isn't dealing with the medication. So they're both going in there and giving all this, uh, giving the impression of the that the court, that they've come to this conclusion, but when you really take it apart, you know, they're, they're like doubles tennis. They're not actually getting into it at all, but they're perfectly and willing the judge, to get in the there.
2: Judge the judge is listening to their testimony as gospel, as if it from um, straight from the hand of God down, you know, to them. It, it's right. It's just you know, a,
0: a kind of amazing. Well, uh, but you know what? Also, the judge knows very well that she put orders where I can't have contact with either one. So she's a smart judge. She's the chief judge of the Alexandria court. She knows very well that those those two witnesses are coming in to speak on the father's behalf, that they don't even have any interaction with me. And then half of what they're saying is just a whole bunch of lines that she got, that he got, they got from the father to just, to be on the father's side. So yeah, I, I just think all of them are just.
1: I mean, I asked another thing that might be yeah. important for many people <laughs> to think about is that I asked the therapist in cross examination. You know who is your who is your patient? Who who you know who do you answer to? And you know they were like puzzled by the whole idea. And basically they admitted that they're you know that they were hired by the father. And this is this is what I find very offensive: is that the um is that no matter how young the child is, their patient is the child. But it's clear that yeah. they're, it's clear in every respect the way they're acting. They're asking as if the whoever pays them is it's like as an attorney. if, if somebody hires me. And uh, relative pays is very clear that I, I owe the responsibility to the client, not to the person who pays me. But in this area, you know, it's pretty clear that the experts answer to whoever writes their check, not the best interest of the child who they're supposed to be treating.
2: You'd, you'd for sure get some discussion about that in the psychology circles. I've read uh, journal articles, et cetera, on that particular issue. But I think that it's a valid point. I think that's a very valid point. Um, even if it's not a conscious allegiance, there is an allegiance to the person who's paying your bill or the person who contacted you first.
0: So, and and the therapist, you would think that a therapist um, who means well and wants what's best for the child, she would try to meet with both parents, right? This therapist has never, ever called me in her office. Even the order says that she can call me or, you know, invite me in for a session. I can't go to the sessions, but she can invite me. And not once has she made any effort to have any contact with me or invite me in or get to know me. And then she went on the stand and she she basically bashed my character like if she knew based on what the father is telling her, not anything that she knows about me because she doesn't know me personally. She's yeah. probably seen me twice in court for a second. <laughs>
2: boy, boy. It, it's it's so convoluted. I, I, You know, we should probably back up a little bit. And explain yeah. what it is uh, what are the if you had to pick the top three reasons that natalia has, is in the position of having to fight for custody of her child um John, what would they be what 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 wrong here so to speak
1: well um there's several things and and um part of the issue is is that there was a previous round of court hearings and but because the child has some difficulties, then the um there was some various various help, and in previous years the the uh, court ordered that um, that that Natalia can't talk to the doctors and psychiatrists um, treating her child. Um, I you know and so that was the first error, and I think that that is um, a completely outrageous position. I think that the court should not interfere in the medical relationship. I, I don't think the court is qualified or it's proper in any way, but that's what the court ordered, was that she cannot talk to the doctor's psychologist or therapist treating her child. And, and then when um, the, psych- the medic- medication went wrong and she's trying to raise it to, the, um, to their attention, to the adult's attention, um, and it's a lot, of, a lot like we see in a lot of areas where everything gets twisted. Um, spin and things like that. So her attempts to, to 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 point out that the medication they're putting him on is causing problems are then turned around and twisted, and as if she is um, interfering in his treatment. Um, I got the psychiatrist to admit, Dr. Dr. Michener on the, the stand, that he needs to know what's happening with the child when with the medication he's prescribing. And in fact, he did change the medication as he testified. And he you know he so he starts out with this whole thing that's saying her involvement is detrimental to the development of the child um and then when i ask him questions he gets around to saying oh yeah of course of course it's valuable to know um the you know feedback from every adult in the child's life so he you know his 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 testimony that i started out with that he started out with on his own was like 180 degrees the opposite when i asked him questions so you know and he's this warm grandfatherly pepper, pepperidge farm remembers um kind of guy, so you know, so the judge liked him. um the other thing is that they tried to point out is that the is that the child tells, and this is a problem that a lot of people are going to face the child reports to many adults that um, the father has abused him, I mean, in terms of um violence, not in terms of other things and um but the 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 judge would not let the minor child testify ten years old has some problems. And so, whether or not a young child can testify is, is kind of for the judge to evaluate. So you've got this problem where you've, you've got allegations of abuse, but everybody is trying to talk about it, and the, the elephant in the room is the judge won't let the te- the, t- the child testify. So what we have is everybody's opinion about what the child said, which is not reliable. Um, then um, Natalia took uh, the, took the child to the magistrate, who's in Virginia is a uh, lower judge who evaluates um protective orders and things like this, the magistrate spent fifteen minutes alone with the with um with ethan the child and we so some people watched we we got testimony into the court that the the magistrate you know interviewed the child directly and alone, then issued a protective order ordered the child out of the father's custody ordered the police to go over and get his his things. And, um, you know, so, so, so obviously the, the magistrate was convinced from what the, from what the child said on his own, but the judge wouldn't have the child testify in the actual court hearing. Um, and so this is a,
2: so the judge also then disregarded what the magistrate reported or what the re- magistrate found? How how absolutely how did judge and I
1: well she can't but she did. I I brought yeah. it. I mean I, I brought that up and the, and the judge was angry when I when I poured it out. Says the only judicial officer who's heard the child directly um, believed the abuse and she got angry. And says yeah but you know maybe you know it, he didn't fully investigate and she just kept making all these excuses as to why maybe it isn't true then during the pendency any, of this
2: if there's any flake of a doubt why would you risk the child being placed back in that situation
1: i, I don't know and it gets even worse because the the the, the father's attorney then <laughs> argued that because natalia um reported it to the magistrate to the proper authorities for that reason her rights should be taken away and and the judge okay. basically in the in, in the transcript agreed that because Natalia reported physical abuse to the proper authorities, um, that this was disruptive to the child, and she's lost custody, in part because she uh, because she reported abuse, and and it's in the you know it's in the this is a transcript in which Judge Kemmler announced her her order. It's not my opinion. It's you know you can read it in the in the transcript for yourself. I'll send it to anybody. Um, hello.
2: John? John, I'm yeah. taking another. I'm taking another call. We have a reporter who's worked closely on this situation, okay. and I'm hoping that he'll answer his phone. Yeah, are, sure. are you there, All Michael? Right. Yes. I am. Hi. Uh, Michael Volpe, author and reporter, is joining us. We've been talking about the high cost, uh, both financial and emotional. I think we've pretty much moved into the emotional cost of fighting for your child. And uh, we we talked a little bit about the financial cost and how difficult it is when one party has lots of money and the other party doesn't in these child custody issues. Um, but now we're talking about how the, the judge, uh, it, it almost seems like judges are kind of capricious on choosing what they will believe and what they won't believe, and I've often said mm-hmm. that the one with the biggest stack of paper from the most on the most expensive stationery is the one that the judges believe. But then I'm notorious for saying things that get me in trouble. Michael, how would you right. respond to my comment?
3: Well, I think more often than not, you're right. You know, in each each case, it's it, it has its own dynamic. Um, in I think you've got Natalia on the phone as well. Yes. Yeah, right? I Yeah, I'm there. here. Yeah, I look, like in her case, when she had physical custody, they went to court once. So since it's been switched in 2014, somewhere around 100 times. Now, think about the billable hours and all of the court services that that created and all of the money around that. And so that's our, not only is that a red flag, but that really shows what this is all about. This is all about creating billable hours. And there just weren't enough when Natalia had custody. So you switch custody, and you know, not just for the lawyers, but for guardian ad litem. I think in her case and other cases, you can bring in a whole bunch of other people, and they're all making two hundred, four hundred dollars an hour. So certainly, the one who can afford to pay it is the one they're going to cater to, and that's, as you said, the one with the biggest stack of paper from the uh, from the best law firm. Um,
2: and and so if I could, if okay, I, I could complete, go ahead. Sure, go ahead, John.
1: No, I was going to complete a thought that you, you didn't know I was going to add to that. Is that um, the, uh, uh, the the guardian, the the guardian ad litem, um asked for? Uh, well, the, the the judge ordered while the case was pending, which went over several months because to schedule a day here, a day there, and um, Natalia was ordered to have supervised visitation only. And it's a real pain in the neck to, to get supervised visitation. The judge that thinks, oh, I'll just order it. It's very expensive, very difficult. There are very few people who do it. And they don't do it as a primary, you know, they do it as a part-time job. So but so, we, so they, we've settled on someone that, that the judge liked, that the ju- the, the guardian at lightem liked. And Natalia um, had visitation with, uh, what was her name? Lori
2: Best. Best. don't so,
1: so Best met with the with the child, and immediately reported the abuse to Child Protective <laughs> Services. And I asked, I asked Lori Best, why was, did you report? And that was only a few weeks. That, that was in the middle that of the proceeding.
2: Abused by the custodial parent, not Natalia.
1: By the right. And Correct. and this says, why did you? You know, why? I asked her in court about this before the judge why did you report the same thing that happened before uh, the magistrate? She said, well, I was required to. I'm a, I'm a mandatory record, re, um, reporter. So what she heard from the child as well, only a few weeks before, obligated her to report it. And yet the judge didn't believe either either the magistrate or the, uh, the supervised visitation who made the report.
0: What's well, even more interesting is the judge the judge turned to her on the stand and said, I don't want to hear what the child told you. I don't want to hear it.
2: have seen this over and over again, these kinds of situations. Um, isn't there any accountability for these judges?
3: Very, very little. Do you, do you know what I recently found out? So I didn't recently find this part out, but in, in each state they have like, not each state, but I think most of the states have like a judicial oversight board. Like in Oklahoma, it's called the Council on Judicial Complaints. In California, mm-hmm. it's the Council on Judicial Commission, I think. And so, if you look, if someone's actually done, like they did one for the one in Florida, and, and it was like 400, 500 complaints per year, and three or four actions taken, and their uh, and their reason is, well, most of all, most of the complaints are frivolous, and you look. And all of these state judicial complaint places, they all have these kinds of numbers, where there'll be several hundred complaints in a year, and they'll take action on three or four. And their and their reason always is, well, most of them are frivolous. And of course, who's saying that they're frivolous? The judicial complaint place. So you're saying accountability, and these in each state, there's a place that if a judge is out of control, you're allowed to to complain. And what you're gonna find is. They take action in a handful of cases, even though they'll get hundreds of complaints per year, and they'll tell you, "Well, that's because most of these lickers are just filing frivolous complaints." And we don't know if they're frivolous because they're the ones claiming it. So, no, there's very little accountability.
2: To frivolous to whom? You, I, I, and and that's an interesting but, comment because frivolous to them may not be frivolous to me.
3: Right. Hmm. Right. Well, you that's know true. their their argument their argument is. That they can only take action like a statute, so, you know. They, they, their argument gets in all kinds of legal ease. So what they're saying is, well, you think that it's a violation, and it's not technically a violation. You're just upset with the judge. This that the other. Uh, and then look, yeah. in other cases, in other cases, judges are nominated and renominated. So
2: I, I, well, but, I want to get back to to the uh, judicial accountability. Because there there was, mm-hmm. speaking of notorious cases, there's the Grazini's That am I saying it correctly, case in Michigan last year, which was notorious, and we don't need to go into that. But there were complaints filed in that case because it got a lot of publicity for some pretty wild behavior on the part of the judge. And the judge was right. brought before that judicial commission. And what happened to her?
3: Well, I think you're talking about the Simone case. Ultimately, the okay. judge got a slap on yeah, the judge got a. They, they wanted initially there was talk that she was going to be suspended for twelve months. She wasn't. Not only was she not suspended, but later on, some organization gave her an award for like helping the children. So basically, well, she got a slap them, on the but, wrist. And yeah, go ahead.
2: her first day back in the courtroom, it was stuffed with people who stood up and gave her a round of applause after being reviewed by this committee. Oh my god. And yeah, absolutely. You know.
3: Look, like, that's not a judge who put three kids in the juvenile hall because they refused to have lunch with their father because they said he beat them. know it gets... Yeah. Not, number one, it's yeah. the shock value that you put kids in the juvenile hall for that reason. Number two... It was the parents' divorce. You know, this gets into a technical area, but what what the court overseeing mm-hmm. her found is you can't do the heck because it's the parents' divorce. You don't have power over them. You can't force the kids in yeah. the parents' divorce to do at your will.
2: What to do to a bunch of normal kids? What a horrible. Right. Thing oh was. yeah, Being, you know, these these three how about kids. Them twice? Right. Uh, crazy. They all well, were
3: straight A's. Straight A's. Listen, these kids were no. straight A's. Everyone liked them. Their entire world was turned upside down, not just with Jarelle Hall. Then she sent them to a camp to reunification therapy. She kept them away from their mom for about six months. Uh, she threw their lives in a complete chaos for no reason whatsoever. They gave her a slap on the wrist. She was going to be suspended for a year. That would have been a legitimate punishment. And then some organization even gives her an award.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. I want to pull back to Natalia's case here. And one of the things in this conversation that is puzzling me is you are being punished. As a matter of fact, you were punished to the point where... Yeah, I am. am.
0: The father father told me that he was going to punish me one day and take Ethan away and ask me for child support. And now he has all these, the judge and he has the GAL and his lawyer and they're all friends with each other and they're all, it's like a big, happy, I don't know. I even feel like the day that I went to jail, I almost feel like um the two guardian at light ends were there like happy that i was going to jail i mean it, it's just it was chaotic to see what was going on in the in the courtroom how everybody was mm-hmm. just on one side and they were all like friends
2: yes right. Well, um, I mean, these, these, these people are, they work together you know they work together plus john you were saying that there's a cost for an attorney of uh who who might question a judge's decision can you explain that
1: yeah, the rules of the bar that govern um attorney conduct from which you can be disciplined or disbarred um prohibit attorneys from from saying certain things about judges. Um you can't, you know, the way it's worded is you can't question the um uh the fitness or qualifications of a judge. Um but basically it, it works out to say you can't say anything negative about a about a judge if you're an attorney. Um and so when people are trying to figure out what's going on, to realize that the most of the attorneys are silent because they're not allowed to to tell to tell people what's going on. The theory is is that if a judge if an attorney is critical of of judges, that it will it will lessen confidence in the in the judicial system, which it should. Um, and so well,
2: and fact, people, we, we've had two attorney former attorneys on our show who were disbarred in these kinds of situations, one in California and one back East. And uh, because they challenged the judges' decisions and made some noise, they were actually disbarred. And I find that astounding that you can't criticize decisions. The, the more in, that I hear I wanna... about these, these, these situations, I think this is such an archaic system where one party, i.e. the judge, seems to have iron control and whatever that party's whim. I, 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 I'm going to digress here for a second because I remember years ago, I mean, I'm talking decades ago, whenever there was malpractice, when I was a kid, there, you didn't have malpractice lawsuits. The, the medical societies kind of policed their own. And at one point people were saying, wait a minute, this is not exactly the best way to do this. And so they got away from that, and they, you know, I mean, you can argue whether what we've gone to is better. I don't know. I'm not in the medical field. But, but at one point, whenever you had a complaint about a doctor, it went to the medical society, and they reviewed their own. And it sounds very similar to these judicial review boards. The, the, the issue with the doctors, though, was resolved like 20-some years ago or more when they said, wait a minute, policing your own is not necessarily the way to go here. It seems to me like policing your own, although it brings problems, is probably not the best way to go for judges either. But nobody can stand up and argue with the judges. Uh,
1: well, you know, it, and, and one can speculate that if somebody, if they start, if they start to discipline judges, it will, you know, open the idea that maybe, maybe there really are, there really is, our problems. You know, so better to cover it up, sweep it under the rug. But my father's a retired doctor, mm-hmm. and when he ran into to malpractice. You know, he he was he was angry at the at at somebody. I mean he li- he tried to do a quality job and if somebody else didn't it was it made him mad. He didn't want to cover it up. He wanted to, to mm-hmm. uphold the profession. But but that's you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, I think it's turned into the idea that if um if we admit that maybe maybe there could be problems then people will start asking too many questions. So oh. um
0: Yeah Yeah I think I yeah. would like to add a um something yeah. I would like to add a couple of things to my, my thing. <laughs> that I think is important um, Well, with my case with the abuse um, that I think is a, a good highlight. You know, the, the day that they, um, I did the protective order, the very next day, the father's attorney who is friends with all the judges somehow managed to dismiss the order without my present, and my son was back with his father the very next morning. Um, and my the father pulls my child out of the school and never returns him back to school again, after the after the abuse allegation. Until today, I don't know where my son's going to school this year because his dad is telling me it's none of my business, and he's been out of school.
2: What about CPS. What about CPS? Oh, and let me
0: t- let me tell you about CPS. CPS is friends with um with the two guardians at Lightem. So the CPS lady. I call her after the hearing, and she say, I told her, why didn't you, um, and I actually recorded this. I said, why didn't you um, tell the courts about the abuse when I took my son personally to your office? She says, well, I already told them that he was at the dad's house. He didn't tell me anything. I said, that was not when he told you the abuse. He's not going to tell you anything in front of his dad. He knows his dad records him. And she says, oh, well, the judge didn't ask me. Um, about the abuse, so I didn't think I needed to tell her about the other time he went.
3: So that, that anecdote she just explained also highlights another problem, which is that often they put people in position where it appears as though they have some sort of expertise, and they really don't. See, Ms. Guardian yeah. at is completely, in reality, completely unqualified to any part of, of what she's asked to do, but you know, because almost anyone can be a guardian of light and they, they stick her in. Uh, they have no training they, in, in terms of figuring out if the abuse is real, in terms of talking to kids, to you know, to try to draw that out. I don't have any experience in any of that. And fact, they're given the veneer that they have some sort of expertise, and then their opinion is treated as though it's really, really important, when in reality, they have absolutely no expertise in any of this stuff. And unfortunately, what Natalia just described happens in so many courtrooms all around the country, and so you see parents getting crushed by people who have the veneer of having expertise, and in reality,
0: they have none. Um, you know, But they don't have a huge platform to to, to point this out. So yeah, so the two there was two guardian there was two guardian ad litem's appointed to my case right here after the abuse. They they after I filed the the abuse and I asked for an uh, an emergency hearing because I didn't understand why my son went back to his father's house. The judge denied it in the JDR court and just assigned me as a back to the case. And she was like the old um, guardian ad litem who, who helped the father to get custody. She was, like, on the father's side. I didn't want her back in the case, but anyways, I put her back. And I told her when I met her, I said, please, if you're going to be in this case, you need to look at this case with a new set of eyes, not be biased. And she, told, she said she wasn't going to be biased. Well, anyway, so then she gets in the case for a month. Yeah, she gets in the case for a month, and she's supposed to be, like, finding out about the abuse. So then I call her one day, and I record this, too, and I said, so... Have you asked my child about the abuse? Oh no, that's not my job. That's why they have CPS on board. I'm not gonna ask him about those kind of questions. I said, so you're not gonna ask him at all or or have any conversation? No. So then later they assigned this. And so I asked, did you ask my son about the abuse? Oh no, if he wants to voluntarily tell me, then he can, but I'm not gonna ask him those kind of questions. That's not my job. So nobody is, I, like, everybody's like, yeah. snowballing, John, and they don't want to ask the child anything.
2: John, I want to ask you a question, which is are there no standards between these specialties? Are there no standards? And I would assume that if that's court district by court district. They, they come up with their own standards. I mean, it seems to me that if you're a guardian ad litem and you're supposed to be representing that child, you would want and the, the expect, expectation would be that you would be asking and finding out everything that you could about that child,
1: as a lawyer, because they are lawyer, they are typically lawyers. That would that would come within their responsibility, as you know, as any lawyer to zealously advocate for their client and and to represent them. But you know, I challenged the guardian ad and you know, and their position is no, I'm not representing the child. I'm there to assist the court. That, that oh. was her her point of view, is that That's you know, I said you're
2: anything I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought d- d- the guardian
2: ad like was representing the the person who couldn't represent themselves, i.e., the child. Right.
1: But no, her 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 idea is that she's supposed to investigate and assist the court in understanding what's going on, and not to represent the the the, the child's interests. And <laughs> wow. and of course, there are any rules that that exist, of course, if they're never enforced, they don't really exist. And of course, this gets back to your feeling about this whole thing: is that you know, in any human endeavor, in any in any place, when there is no accountability, um, people go off track. You know, any any amount of you know any amount of lack of accountability produces bad behavior. It's just human nature. Um, and like with, with with Natalia, she can she can appeal, but anyone trying to appeal faces the problem of coming up with court with the court reporter's transcripts. And she's got to come up with four thousand two hundred dollars for all the court reported transcripts, and, that, and, it, and in many cases, it's a lot more than that. Um, so, practically speaking, um, it's you know they, these judges never get challenged on appeal because nobody can afford it. Um,
0: yeah, and, I mean uh, that's the problem. That's the problem I'm having now. I'm trying to get the money, and I don't have enough money.
2: Yeah, um, it's kind of like what it, what what was the saying about justice delayed is justice denied? It seems to me justice uh, with a price tag is justice denied.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: heard Natalia's evidence or allegations about abuse of her child from the custodial parent, but the custodial parent didn't go to jail. She did. Are there any allegations right. that she abused her child?
1: No, only that only that they're saying that she's. Um, Bad mouthing the medical treatment, but but the but, the, <laughs> but there was no there was no alle- there uh, was no okay. evidence that she ever did that before the child. She warned the adults that you know that she had concerns that the medication was could producing side effects that he was having hallucinations he was having kicks and all kinds of things like that. But the allegation was that she's. Saying that to the child of which there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever, because the only people who would know that would be Natalia and her child Ethan, and they wouldn't let Ethan testify, and Natalia, <laughs> and they wouldn't even hear happen.
0: Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: mean, so, so, um, so they they found her guilty of of turning Ethan against the medical treatment with no evidence whatsoever.
2: What attitude is that? Huh? <laughs> what, that <laughs> Is that on the books? I I wondered. I haven't seen that one. Not that I pour through uh, uh, law journals, but you know that I that's a funny t- you know murder mayhem. Yeah, you know, I mean that those kinds of things. I thought they had laws against. I didn't know that there was a law against. I don't know. I I guess I'm I'm pretty naive when I, I think we are all very naive when it comes to the court systems until we find ourselves in a situation like this. My but phone. that's
1: where My I phone. asked the. Well, let me finish because that's Go where ahead. I asked the psychiatrist, "What evidence do you have that the the child was ever exposed to these concerns or opinions?" Says, "None." I mean, he admitted there on the stand that there was no evidence whatsoever that Natalia ever said anything negative to the, in the child's presence, and yet, and yet she then was sent no. to jail for, for uh, what four days.
0: No, remember it's five
1: days. Oh right, yeah, five days. Yeah, and that was yeah. I mean, they were asking for twenty, and and it, you know it escalates oh from God. there. So it's not like it's not like you know they can't go higher if if they want to.
3: And uh, Heather, good. we should go we ahead, should Mike. note they also they also ask for a bunch of court costs. Uh, if they had gotten everything, Natalia would have been in jail for about a month, and she would have had like thirty, forty thousand in extra court costs that she obviously doesn't have, which could then be used in all sorts of other ways if you can't pay the court costs. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I be- so I that's why. So believe- that's why they,
0: uh, yeah, they ordered supervised visits or, so that they can take all my money.
3: <laughs> right. No. Look, I firmly believe that that it was reduced. I, I think the judge wanted a lot more, that's, but. That's- there there was enough media attention to this case that a judge at least backed away from the really hard sentences. But I think if, if uh if there weren't news stories and other things I think Natalia would have gotten a full month and like the thirty, forty thousand um in court costs. So they they yeah. wanted a lot more than
0: she actually got. Yeah. So this
2: is a,
0: But then, a, then, a, then a, they a, then a, they a, use a supervised easy. visitation. Yeah. Yeah, and you
2: have to pay for that as well
0: yeah they're using that to, to exhaust all my money so that I can't keep and fighting. They even said that I need a neuropsychological evaluation before I can even go back to court again, and they know that I don't have the insurance or five thousand dollars to pay for that, so that's the way to keep me out of court,
1: although they had previously well, then, you know they had pre- they had previously ordered that in what two thousand and thirteen or something and so yeah when, when, and, and and when when the, when the attorney started to ask for that, for which there was no basis in the evidence whatsoever, you know, there was no, there was no evidence, evidentiary basis at all laid for a psychiatric evaluation. And he started, you know, going on and on about how that he thinks, you know, in his opinion in closing argument based on absolutely nothing, his, you know, lack of medical knowledge. You know, I popped up and said, oh, here it is. She already passed. And that just made the judge angry. You know, she she was getting all wound up that oh yeah we have to order a psych- psychiatric evaluation. When I pulled out that that she'd already passed one, fine. Um, the judge got angry. Well, that's not what we meant. We have to, you know, has to do we have to do it all over again. Well, so it's
0: just it's yeah. Just, <laughs> she only ordered it for me.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's and yet you have not been accused of abusing a child. Um, Michael, exactly. It seems to me, it seems to me, Michael, that the go-to position in these cases are she's crazy.
3: right you, you know what the you know what it seems to me is the go-to position is whatever position creates more court costs. Uh, yeah, the go-to position is not so much that she's crazy, but that she needs a uh, psychological evaluation, which costs five thousand dollars, and she needs uh, well supervised visitation, which I think costs seventy what one hundred fifty or three hundred dollars an hour. Uh, it seems like whatever the position is, whatever is going to generate uh, billable hours for someone. That's what it seems to me, mm-hmm. and that's not a coincidence. That's why I keep getting back to: there's only one court hearing while she had custody, and look at all of this stuff. This, is, all of this, is what this is really all about. Uh, you know, the, her son is 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 essentially like a pawn. Uh, what they really wanted to do was create a ton of billable hours for a lot of people so everybody could make money, and you couldn't do it with the right parents having custody. You can only do it this way, and, uh, you know, they they basically don't care what happens to your son uh, because it just creates so many billable hours. If you, could, if you can imagine all of these people multiplied exponentially in terms of the number of cases they had that they do this in, and then you can understand why they do it you can create billable oh. hours and five, 10, 15 of these cases all at once. I and mean, you're $200 an hour. You're making a lot of money. Oh, at
1: least. Um, so, but the, yeah, um, and they, but, the but I, but I, I was going to say, your audience should not should know that this whole thing about need a thing, needing a psychiatric evaluation is a growing thing around the, a trend. That's I, um, I have that in, in several other cases and, um, even a, an attorney was suspended who was a, who was you know causing trouble with the the, the j- judge in the bar. They they um, suspended her license based on absolutely no evidence, claiming that uh, she needed a psychiatric evaluation. Again, these are not medical <laughs> opinions. There's no medical basis for for these orders, but it's a growing trend to just accuse somebody of. We need to get you a, get you to have a psychiatric evaluation.
2: I, I uh, you're kind of following the cultural trend that if you disagree with me, you must be crazy. I mean, I, right. I appreciate what you're saying, Michael, about the 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 court industry, if you will. But mm-hmm. it also seems to be, you know, kind of culturally, we we as a society seem to think that if you disagree with me, then you're crazy. That's that's what it is. So that's why we have to get you evaluated. Right. Um, and, and, I, I'm, is is, it, is that kind of a thing and, unique to these kinds of situations, John? I I
1: don't know. I mean, I I think that they have hit on the fact that it works, and so now everybody's doing it. It's the new, um, you know, it's the new thing. Oh, and, and and let me let me go off on another thing too, because I think that this father and his experts came up with a new idea, which is that oh, the child needs stability. Therefore, the mother can't be involved. I mean, every time you every time you want to say, well, let's be, you know, let's accommodate the mother's schedule. Let's make sure she gets. Involved, like, oh no, 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 we can't do that because the child—it's so important for the child to have stability. And then, of course, the father takes yanks him out of school, and and is homeschooling him. So you know, they—they—the they, expert said that he he needs structure, he needs predictability, so he's being homeschooled. And I'm not against homeschooling, but I am against lying. Um, sure. You know, he's getting he's getting less well, I, um,
2: I he's getting I less structure. No, I can't believe that since there was a CPS case, I I can't believe that if a child is pulled out of school, CPS isn't following up with that. I mean, that's just yeah, I can't, e- I black can't black.
0: either. Yeah, red because
2: I
3: what mean, happened? No,
0: what she, happened, she she didn't she didn't even go to the the father's house until like a week later after the report. Can you believe that like, they d lay lag to even to jump into the case? Like if it was not serious. Yeah, go,
1: go
2: ahead,
0: John.
1: And, For, yeah. No, and and so you have to understand is that. From the day after the magistrate did this, the, ch- the the father took the child away from any adult who might have a reporting responsibility. Um, since since the magistrate ordered it, and then the 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 attorney his attorney got it dropped, the only time the child has been around adults that might have a reporting responsibility heard things from the child that required her to report to child protective services that the child had reported being abused by the father. There's, you know, but being homeschooled means that this child is not in contact with any adults that would that would um, have any responsibility to um,
2: to uh, deal with any abuse. Yeah, Natalia, were you the primary? Yeah, I uh, uh,
0: yeah. yeah for for the first for the first six years of Ethan's life, and because I moved to Fairfax, yeah uh, yeah when I moved to Fairfax, that's how I lost custody. I was set up. Um, my lawyer, um, yeah, it it was a really sad story. The day that I was moving, I got a text from my, my lawyer and said that you just lost custody. And, um, they said that I went to school, late in school, disheveled with no shoes on. And ever since that day, I've been fighting to get custody back.
2: Right. Michael, do you see this in these situations a lot where there's one thing it's it's almost like somebody pushes a pebble down the hill and then you can't stop the avalanche in these cases.
3: Right. And, and and one of the reasons for that is because uh it's like a huge can of worms they've created. Uh you know, they can't reverse because then they got four years to explain for what they've done. So uh, you you're chosen a path, you can't go the other path because that creates all kinds of landmines for them. the other thing I wanted to point out is i don 't know if it 's in this case, but the other thing that 's being done is these kids then get drugged up and uh, and so the, the pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money off of this as well. see they 're having trouble dealing with the protracted divorce the, you know the court never says we 're protracting it, so let 's put them on a whole bunch of drugs. make sure the pharmaceutical industry makes a lot of money uh, the other The other thing I wanted to point out is. You know, what you guys just talked about is another example of essentially like moving the goalposts and then something being important in one case but not in another. You know, they're they're constantly saying stability, 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 but when he rips them out of school or homeschools, well, suddenly stability is not so important. So stability is only important really just as a hammer to go after Natalia. They don't really care about stability. And if you analyze it uh, you know, Right it's, not it's, like al- it's
0: actually... only it's only not stability when it comes to me, but when it comes to the father, even though he pulled my son out of school two times within the last since the last court hearing, he pulled him out of the school that the judge wrote on her report to not take Ethan out of Mount Vernon and he went ahead and pulled him out, and then he puts him in a private school that has no support for Ethan's emotional needs. So Ethan's, like, for a whole year in a a private school where they have no specialist there to help him with his needs, and he's hitting kids and being suspended and being sent home all the time or whatever. And then he pulls him out of that school when I filed a protective order again. So within within the three years of the last hearing, he's got pulled out of school twice. But, oh, yeah, he's more, uh, you know, and then also when I took, when I went, and, f- and try to get Ethan. A year later, after I lost custody, Judge Kimbler told me that if you come back in a year and let me and, and show me that this child's behavior has decreased with this father and he's um, his his health has decreased, then I will give you back custody. No, that's not what happened when I went back to court. I brought her all the evidence of the nosebleeds and all the health issues that my son was having under medication and all this stuff, and she didn't listen. And then I brought her a list of behavior charts. Uh, and, like, all colorful of all the times he was suspended, how they did suicide threats on him, um, threat assessments on him. He was taking pieces of glass and going around trying to cut the kids on the playground. They put him in an isolated playground because of his behavior, and this was all under the father's care. The the, the psychologist of Mount Vernon School even went to the school and said the child has become antisocial under the father's care. But, you know, the judge didn't care about those things. Even though I brought her all that evidence, she still left him with the father, so it doesn't yeah. matter what I bring to that court.
2: We started the show talking about, and I'm looking at the clock, folks, and I'm going, "Wow." I'm
0: um, sorry. <laughs>
2: we started the show. No, no, no. That's that You know, th- it's very tough. These stories are very tough, and they're so convoluted, and and that's why I kind of keep trying to, you know, pull back to the one little tiny piece that I I thought we could cover in an hour. It's very convoluted, and very, uh, you know, and. But one of the things that strikes me is one of the costs we talked about is the financial, obviously. It's very debilitating. You've had bankruptcy, and I've certainly heard that before. The other cost is the emotional cost. Boy, you know how this must be for you, Natalia, but also for the child who's being bounced back and forth. And the emotional costs all around are just staggering. And yet, we hear of this over and over again, but... We're dealing with this kind of a situation in an environment where I still hear people say, well, if that mother lost her children, she must have done something wrong.
3: And a lot, lot less people than five years ago.
2: Who say that?
3: A lot, a lot less people say if, if the mother doesn't have custody, she must have done something wrong. I think more and more people have had their eyes open that that's just nonsense. That's something the court wants to feed you uh pe- there are, a lot of people still believe it but i think it's far less than it was five years ago a lot more of these stories have come out a lot more people are wise to it uh I, i'm not sure I, no one I, believes that but a lot less than they used to
1: yeah this John there's a lot of people i used to say that there are two kinds of people um those who believe in our judicial system and those who've experienced it um wow. you know if, if if you talk to people from afar they're like oh it must be wonderful but they when they experience it, they have very different opinions.
2: Yeah, we tend to um, kind of idolize and and set it on a pedestal as j- justice. From what I've seen, um, it has less to do with justice than it does with paperwork.
1: Do think the other difficulty is that people say that are you know, like, oh, you're just saying this because you lost. Well, you're not going to hear it probably from the people who won. So if you're gonna if you're gonna learn that there are problems, are you gonna learn it from the people who lost, or are you gonna learn it from the people who won? So, but there's this automatic thing like, well, if there's if there's criticism of what happens in the courts, well, that's just because you lost. You know, yeah. that's that's like saying that not you. You know, a patient comes into the emergency room. It's like, well, you're just making these complaints because you're sick, so we're not gonna listen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I've had where I've lost friends because they're like, uh, you know, we don't know what to believe anymore. And family right. members yeah. even
3: stop talking. Right. That comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of how the court works. And, yeah, it's because people, as John said, mostly experience it from afar. So they they see something that they, they think is happening and it's not happening. And they're basing their perceptions based on what they see happening. So if you're like, well, I'm sure it was there. So Natalia lost custody. Oh, she must have done something really bad. Uh, and, 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 I, and I, then you are four your perceptions based on that.
1: Yeah. And I have a, uh, you know, I have a, a, a client recently keeps wanting to know, you know, who do I, who do I report this to? And I have to say no one that, you know, the judge that although a decision might be overturned on appeal, the judge doesn't work for anybody. The judge doesn't have a boss. The, the judge is not accountable to anybody. You might be able to get the decision reversed by the appeals court, but it's still not, they're still not their boss they're completely independent, you know, with no, no accountability.
2: Well, and you hear people discussing this problem by saying, well, you know, some, some areas uh, elect judges. And I was just talking to somebody this morning and we're, you know, reasonably well-informed, reasonably well-educated people. And we're going, when we vote for a judge, do we even know that person? I mean, do we even know? No, of course we don't. And, you know, I, Or if you don't, you know, in areas where you don't uh, elect judges, uh, where they don't get voted for, they get appointed. Well, but then you've got the cronyism issue. So it's like, how are these people selected and who keeps track of them? And how do we know that they've been given a, a, a cartload full of authority and power and they're sitting there by themselves? And at the most... They're going to get a little hand slap if they do something that comes to the attention of, you know, their their colleagues. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And, again, I'm looking at the clock right now, and I'm going, we could keep talking about this for hours. John Mosley, thank you very, very much. Michael Volpe, thank you. Natalia, thank you. And you have my strongest good wishes. And dealing with this, it's a it's a tough burden for you to hold. And thank you for coming on the show and talking about it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Natalia. Tune in next week for Three Women, Three Ways.